to your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Pej at Peggy's Recovery Corner. This is a recovery podcast. Uh, we talk about all things recovery or lack thereof, depending on how you roll and who you are and what you do in your recovery process. But uh, today, I have a very special guest. His name is Ian. Ian and I uh, go way back, probably about eight, nine years, maybe yeah. more, actually. Um, nine years, yeah. Yeah, about nine years. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome to the corner. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for having me. <clears throat> quickly, Ian and I used to work in a treatment center. I think it was uh, it was down in Southern California. I remember seeing him. I think he, you worked on the front lines, kind of as a as a tech. I think. Yeah, no, it's actually it's that's a big part of my story. That little um, that time I, I had just finished counseling school. I was like a year sober out of rehab, and uh, couldn't get a couldn't get a counseling gig. You know, I like right. thought like my internship went well. I had interned in a place in, in San Juan, and and then they just didn't need a male counselor, so I was kind of left without employment mm-hmm. after I finished my certificate. And so I just took the first job at, at this place, mm-hmm. this men's facility, and, and it was support staff. Yeah, and you were there working as a counselor, and then they found out a, a KDAC hired me on. And then yeah. we actually teamed up and started the IOP program for that program, if you remember. Right, right. We did. Yeah. We were actually, I think the counselors that were there at that time was like the dream team. We had Richie mm-hmm. Chapman. I'm going to have him on here soon. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, for cool, sure. Cool, And a few others. There was, I mean, we, those were good times. Yeah. We were on the front lines. We were seeing it. Good people. Uh, the action and mm-hmm. in treatment from detox all the way through treatment. So um, let's delve into your past. Sure. Uh, I'd like to know where you were born. What your upbringing was like. Um, we'll get into the other stuff, uh, the using, the drinking, what all, what all happened, and then later on we'll get into the recovery. So, where are you from? So, um, well, yeah, I'm from. I was born in 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 '81 in New York City, mm-hmm. in Manhattan, New York, at Lenox Hill Hospital. Um, I think that's like the the Upper East Side, like 78th. Right. I lived with my for the first 13 years of my life. I lived with my mother. She had, uh, was divorced from my father, who wasn't around very often. Uh, it's it, you know telling telling like the details of my past is kind of there's like so much. I went through so many transitions, like from zero to 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 like 21, really. That um, I never really got a chance to kind of fully settle in and socialize. Like as a kid, I went to a lot of different schools, private schools. Um, my mother wasn't, um, talking to her parents. So, and she was drinking a lot. So I pretty much, I was like a full on adult, well, you know, a child of an alcoholic at the time and, Mm -hmm. and kind of imprinting on that alcoholic behavior and and like subtle manipulations. And, um, it was just a bad cocktail. You know, she, uh, I went to a lot of different schools. Um, you said private schools? Yeah. So I started off at a public school and I was like the only, um, one of the only white kids in my school mm-hmm. and I got beat up a lot. And so my grandparents, who didn't talk to my mother at the time because they kind of like, you know, disconnected from her drinking, mm-hmm. stepped in and, and financed, um, you know, the ability for me to go to private school in Manhattan. And so now I went from like public school where I was getting beat up to, to private school. It was like Oliver Twist dressed in thrift store clothes, going to like these like high end private schools. Right. And uh, just getting bullied and made fun of by the kids. And I'd like walk home, <clears throat> you know, as a kid, like through Manhattan back in those days, wasn't very safe, um, you know, in grade school. I mean, a lot of kids did it. If you only lived a few blocks away from home and it was like daytime, you would walk home. Right. And they used to have these safe havens. I remember ducking into like little 
stores like 7-Elevens and stuff would have a sticker that would say safe haven. So if you felt like, you know, you were being followed or something, you could duck into the store mm -hmm. and kind of just post up and wait and the owners would be cool. Mm -hmm. And I used to do that like almost every day on the way home from school um, because I was wearing like private school clothes with like a blazer. Right. So the public school Easy kids, target. yeah, yeah. The public school kids would be like waiting around the corner. And finally at the, the end of middle of eighth grade, my dad stepped into custody away from my mom and I moved to New Jersey, um, the Jersey Shore. Right. So now I'm a New York kid moving to New Jersey. How old were you then? 13, 13. In the middle of eighth grade, like the worst time to move. And and uh, they actually had an acronym, like a, a nickname for, for people that move to the shore from New York. They called us Bennies. Right. So all the kids were like, oh, he's a fucking Benny. Yeah. You know, and it, it, it was an acronym for Bayona, Elizabeth, Newark, and New York. Because all these like, you know, northerners would come down to the Jersey Shore for the summer, like litter the beaches, you know, get drunk like the show, literally, those guys. Right. And then leave. You know, and all the local taxpayers we left to clean up the mess. And they just hated the the New Yorkers that would come down, and so I had a hard time fitting in there. And uh, I just never fit in anywhere I went. There was always like some reason, you know, why I didn't fit in. And um, <clears throat> finally, like you know, one day I remember in eighth grade in, in this public school in New Jersey, I just at lunch I saw these kids sitting, you know, like punk rock looking kids, kind of like miscreants. And and I went to sit at the table, and and I just you know finally for the first time felt a part of. And right. It was just a bunch of kind of you know low level you know young addicts in the making, right? And um, you know those were my people, and and unfortunately it was at a young age, and, and we were still using, but that that connection that we have as addicts, you know, I saw in other addicts that you know were using, sure. And, um, and so I think that's what really attracted me to that that culture and that lifestyle wasn't the the using per se mm -hmm. that came in later, obviously as I continued to use, but. Initially, it was just to be a part of and to fit in. Sure. So, so any did you have any siblings growing up? Anyone to look up to, or you know, the, up to these you? are hard questions. Like everything from even my name is like hyphenated because my parents couldn't agree on my last name. I have like step siblings, half siblings, like mm -hmm. estranged siblings. Right. So I can't even answer that. Like anybody right in the household with you? Um, no, no, nobody in the household. But I had at my because I had kind of two households: my mom's and my dad's. Back house. and forth. And so I had step siblings on my dad's side who were all Italian, like real dark skinned Sicilian Italians, black hair, like yeah. brown, dark brown, you know, hair. Um, that would speak even little bits of Italian and stuff. And and I would come over. I had like blonde hair when I was a kid. Right. And I would go to their house, you know, occasionally, and I would just feel completely out of place. You know, like they were using Italian. Where I'd say like past the mozzarella, and they'd be like, you know, what the fuck is mozzarella? It's mozzarella, you know. Like, <laughs> say it correctly. Yeah. So I didn't even feel culturally connected to my dad's side of the family growing up. Right. Um, you know, and and so I don't know. Just a lot of that, I think, had a big part of it, and 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 played into to some other stuff. And and um, you know, it's it's like chicken or the egg. I think a lot about this, like all the time. I'm a counselor today, and so you know, I'm constantly like you know contemplating and and thinking of like you know either my own existentialism or ways to like help my clients. And and I you know, it's it says in our, you know a lot of the twelve step literature too. It's like um, many of us thought we were addicts before we ever picked up. You mm -hmm. know. And uh, I, I definitely concur with that. You know, I, I don't know where it started, the, the addiction, but I do know that addiction isn't substance use only mm -hmm. and, and, and substance use is a symptom of a deeper thing. And whatever it is that kicked it off, it could have been my genetics. It could have been you know, my environment. It's, it's kind of irrelevant. You know, it's, um, it's something that needs to be addressed and, and treated in my life. And, and, and I, you know, unfortunately, the only way to treat it when you're in eighth grade is, is with heroin. <laughs> So, so wait, 
you hung out with these kids and did it start off with like weed alcohol or yeah yeah i mean it was I, like that stuff was pretty typical i mean um i'm 40 40 years old today so so when i was in eighth grade it was like fucking you know early 90s mid 90s like um 93 94 like era so you know we didn't have the designer drugs like today like you know like if it had it had this been going down like today i probably my first drug would have probably been a pill or something but it was weed um you know that was our gateway drug at the time and uh alcohol a little bit but my mother drank so like you know i think like i i just didn't like that it you wasn't turned off to yeah, i was turned off to it and and um you know i i think it was it wasn't even like cool and it created to drink like it was like cool to like smoke weed and like do like sure. stuff that like was like a little bit like gnarlier i think mm -hmm. um and i experimented a little bit like throughout high school with some stuff um pharmaceuticals were pretty much limited to to like vicodin and adderall mm -hmm. um you know adderall started to make a big kind of appearance towards the end of high school yeah i remember getting into that um i've been misdiagnosed and diagnosed i don't know you know like maybe properly maybe not like since day one with all sorts of stuff adhd you know when I, they diagnosed you with that so so when i was a kid during all this like weird private school shit, yeah. you know I, I obviously you know there's a lot of like uh in between stories i could have told like yes. you know, stabbing kids with pencils or thinking it's funny to like run around the classroom like with my pants down like in like, yeah. third grade and so obviously you know teachers were talking and i and i was um you know being a private school they, they make me see a therapist and stuff and so at a young age i was seeing like child psychologists and and psychiatrists and i was getting prescribed i was prescribed ritalin in like like third grade you know mm -hmm. i was like one of the first like kids that generation mm -hmm. um i was like the first generation of add it was like coming out in magazines like add you know and um <clears throat> anyway so yeah i mean i was diagnosed with add generalized anxiety disorder at one point depression obsessive compulsive disorder bipolar disorder um but these were loose diagnoses back in the day i mean this is like you know, 90s, early 2000s. So do you think kids that get prescribed Ritalin uh, in their youth, when they're totally young, have the potential uh, future of becoming an addict? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I, I for sure believe that. Because they, they develop a dependency upon something that's going to level them. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of like know the, the answer to that, like anyway, because I want like, you know, being in school and, and kind of studying that stuff and being fascinated with my own brain and, and the mm -hmm. brain. But yeah, I mean, absolutely like introducing the, the brain to, to synthetic, you know, um, narcotics at a young age is going to, I feel, you know, create some pathways that are conducive to, to abuse later in life. You know, there's a there's a really good doctor. Uh, his name's Kevin McCauley. Anyone who's been a treatment like from 2000 to 2015 probably has seen Pleasures Unwoven. Mm -hmm. It's a classic, like you know, rehab video. Yeah. And um, and he does a great job of kind of explaining the the brain and the way like you know, um, we 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 experience like that that you know dopamine release and and the stress and stuff. And he he says addiction is a stress disorder. Mm -hmm. It's all you know rooted in stress. And and so um, he tells his story about how you know he had been able to kind of use recreationally until life event stressors became out of control. And that's when the addiction kind of kicked off. So I think, you know, all that like early medication is, is just creating like, you know, it's like, it's like gathering kindling for like when that fire starts, it's really going to kind of kick that addiction off. Mm. Um, and, and that's kind of my story too. Like I experienced that. Sure. You know, you don't really have as much stress as you think you have in eighth grade. It doesn't compare to the stress of like, midlife transitions you know and, mm -hmm. and so all that early drug use i had really i think like kind of paved the way for you know ex an explosion of, of of really you know aggressive you know intravenous drug use later 
how old were you when you were first introduced to heroin? And was it intravenously? Was it smoking it? it yeah, was yeah. China White, I remember right? the story vividly, actually, mm -hmm. because, um, you know, I, every drug, we were like part of that Eminem generation, like, you know, like where, where like drugs were cool. I don't know if they still, I mean, I'm sure that they still are, but like, like experimenting. Glorified. Like, right, right. Like, like, like I really felt like we kind of picked up where the hippies left off, you know, in the seventies. And like, we were like, almost like kind of like if it was new and unheard of, like, let's try it. Like, like um, just everything. Like I remember trying acid and gel tabs around that time and, and sure. maybe a little bit of angel dust and shrooms were fun. And, and, and um, we so did were like ecstasy and cocaine. Yeah. I was sure. experimenting. And then one day we were like looking for something, mm -hmm. me and a three of my buddies in, in New Jersey. And uh, I was probably in like 11th grade at the time, 10th or 11th grade. Um, and, and we couldn't find anything. Nobody could have anything. And one kid, I guess was this kid, Anthony Plumbo. I'll never forget. He goes, um, Hey, you want, you guys want to try some diesel? And he called it diesel. And, and I was like, kind of like the kid in the car that was like younger and like not as cool. And so I was kind of like going along with that. I didn't know what they meant, but I was like, yeah, dude, you know, try that. Yeah. And, and we went and picked it up and then they started kind of, it was China white, it was powder. And they just started tapping it out on like a CD case in the car. And I still didn't know exactly what it was, but I didn't care. It was diesel. I just assumed it was some new like club drug or something. Yeah. And you um, had no idea it was heroin. No idea. My buddy Andre turns around and he looks at me. He's like, you know, that's heroin, right? Like, he like kind of whispers in the car, like giving me like a heads up because I think uh -oh. he knew that I didn't know what was up. And and it was like too late for me to be that guy and be like, oh, no, I'm not going to do heroin here. You know, like, sorry, guys, like, you know, heroin's too much for me. Like, yeah. you know, well, so plus you've been already trying everything yeah, else. Everything like, else. So, but I, but I remember feeling like I was taking a big step like that. Like, this is it. Like, like this is like. That's fucking... how I felt with cocaine for the first time. Yeah. Because I remember hearing in like health class in junior high school that you try it one time and you might get it. You will get addicted. Yeah. And I just thought, well, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. I remember saying that, like, I, I remember feeling like that, like I'm taking a huge leap here, um, but also kind of minimizing it along with that, you know, and like maybe even feeling like, like the world was wrong because they had been wrong with me in so many ways prior to that, you yes. know, like, like um, everything, almost not everything, but like most of the things that people told me were good for me, I, I felt like weren't like sitting in a fucking chair for the first 12 years of my life made no sense to me. You know, like I had to run around, like I, I needed to to be outdoors, you know, at, at that age. I, and I feel like I feel justified. Like, you know, like it's it's um, when you think about it, it's like 40,000 years of human like evolution. Like we didn't sit in fucking grade school. You know, like yes. we were out there with our parents, like walking and learning how to tie knots and like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like gather yeah. supplies and stuff. And and I'm just not I'm just not there, you know. And and so yeah. to, to I, I don't think a lot of us are, you know, and I don't think the, the there's like a need for as much Adderall and, and Ritalin to keep students focused um, sure. in school. I just, I don't know. I've, I've, I've mixed feelings about our educational system and um, you know, they, they put me in special classes too. I didn't mention that. Like I, I'm a fairly intelligent human being, but I couldn't, I couldn't like keep up with the rest of the class when it came to, to like learning how to read and write. So even um, in private school. Yeah, no, well they assigned me like a special tutor. I remember like going to these weird like classes after school to like do like tests and like learn stuff and, sit with like a, a lady like and you know do like individual stuff and um coaching on like how to like read and, and stuff like that i figured it out obviously but um yeah i struggled for some reason um you know i just I, my brain just wasn't built like other people you know so fast forwarding back to the heroin story like you know when, when my buddy is the only people on earth that ever like fucking connect i could connect with on on that level like on a deep level yeah that, like kind of knew me um that accepted me as as family were telling me that that it was cool not to trip, you know. So, yeah. 
I, I, I believed it to a certain extent, you know, and I just kind of, I remember doing it, of course, after doing it, you know, and, 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 and I'll be honest, I don't really remember the way that first time made me feel. I could tell you like that first kind of like, you know, part of my life doing it, like, um, like what it felt like and how it made everything go away and made me feel warm and fuzzy, but also, you know, um, some of the symptoms that, that would happen, like I would, you know, do too much and start throwing up or, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I don't remember too much of, of, of like the details of that time, other than a lot of like, just kind of loose, like feelings of, of just emptiness and, and confusion and, and just trying to like keep up appearances, you know, like I felt like I was doing that pretty much right up and through till my thirties, like trying to convince my family that, you know, I was doing okay or trying to convince, you know, myself I was, or just, you know, staying in some type of school or like working somewhere, you know what I mean? Just yeah. like trying to like keep up with the rest of the world. But, um, I, I was running out of steam, you know, in, into my twenties and, um, hardcore addiction during those times yeah i mean so i was pretty like it's you know my using history is not super exciting it it was like when i was doing heroin and 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 like you know high school and then i stopped doing that i I got sent to like a reform school Mm -hmm. and uh in connecticut it it was actually it wasn't like considered a reform school but it was you know it was like a boarding school um and uh through going there i didn't really get like you know as hooked to, to heroin as, as some of the kids in New Jersey. So when I would come home, I would do it like on spring break and stuff. And I'd go back to Connecticut for like three, four months. For shoot it? Yeah. We started shooting it a little bit. Like, um, I probably shot heroin. I would say honestly in my lifetime, maybe like, like a dozen times, maybe a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, on the East coast, it was a lot of powder. So, um, but I did get into like a little bit of that towards the end. And then, uh, in the beginning, and I actually, I, I had like a little bit of a hepatitis C scare. Um, where my body kind of like, you know, I, I shared a needle with this kid in the bathroom and, and uh, I went to the doctor to get some blood work and my levels were starting to get elevated. Mm. And, um, you know, through further testing and, and, and seeing somebody, we were able to get in front of it and it never actually manifested into to anything. And, and mm. But it scared me enough to make me not want to use needles anymore. And they weren't easy to get at the time, you know? So um, you know, it was a lot of, I would just have like two bags instead of one and snort them, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, I put that down and then I, you know, I picked up alcohol. I just kind of mixed drugs for like my 20s. And then and then the pharmaceutical opiate started to kind of make an appearance. Mm-hmm. And, and I had some back issues and some pain. And I took some of these blue Roxies that were popular, like, you know, 15 years ago or 10 right. years ago, the 30 mil- milligrams, it, you know. And um, and those things opened up a whole nother door because now you could like shoot these things, smoke them, fucking eat them, you know, chew them, throw them in. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. um, and so you know, you start just taking them like, you know, for your back. And the next thing you know, you're like, Oh, if I fucking crush it, I can get a little bit more out of it. So, you know, and, and, and it just opened up that, that neural pathway from high school. And I just was off and running. And for a while I was responsible, you know, I would like keep my like stash. I'd have my half a pill for lunch, you know, and I, I try to maintain, but eventually I just kept running out and it was just not enough. And, and I ended up coming back and, and I picked up heroin again. And, um, Cause it was cheaper. And after like one or two uses of it, like having to go get it and like use it, I just hit up my buddy. And, and, um, there's a whole backstory to like how I ended up like surrendering to get help. Um, I had a friend who was an AA and, and long story short on that. Um, he had like four years sober at the time. I had no idea what AA was, but this dude was like a, a complete, like, you know, waste of time. Like, you know, a couple years prior, like we knew this kid Eddie around the neighborhood is right. like, you know, just like fucking a loser pretty much. And now he was like changed, not just changed, but like, was like, like the man, like had, you know, his own car, like house, you know, we're younger. 
and he was like the only one that like owned property and, and it was in Jersey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so he he had like a lot of things going on. And he asked me one day that if I want to do a job, it was just taking off this rich guy's lights off his house after Christmas. Super easy, just pull them down. It was like a hundred bucks each. It only take us like an hour, um, and I couldn't do it. I just like you know, I was I, I was just I was sick. You know, like I, I actually in my head believed I was sick, but I was just so fucking weak from like drug use and maybe not having enough or doing too much. And that for some whatever it was, yeah. I just couldn't finish the job and. Uh, and he's like, I just sat in the car. He finished it, and he came. He came and sat in the car after me. And he said, you know, when are you gonna get your shit together? And I, I surrendered in the car. I was like, I can't. You're right. Like, I'm just I'm, my shit's fucked up. And, and he came with me to my house. We got on the computer. You know, googled something. An 800 number comes up, like they do. You know, ad for like the first place that was paying the most SEO at the time. It was a above it all treatment center in Arrowhead. They're no longer around. Um, I remember. Great, but you know, at the time, and 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 I, I got a lot on that program. You know, Didn't Steve go there too. He passed away not that long ago. Steve, Steve did. He did. Redhead Stevie, guy. Stevie Parisi. And he was about. from back east too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he, uh, he was Brooklyn, Bronx, Staten Island, maybe. Yeah, maybe Staten Island, I think. But yeah, he was one. Uh, you know, a, a, a couple of people out of there I, I know have passed since then. This was in 2011. Um, I got up there. I knew nothing. Like literally, first ex- first meeting, first everything, and. Um, you know, I had a counselor, the whole nine yards, uh, therapist, and I had set myself right. Like, like in my Dean head, Camp says Jersey represents. <laughs> Do you know Dean? Dean, he's one of my best friends. He, maybe he, he moved back to Jersey not that long ago. Maybe, maybe. Good um, dude. Um, great. Dude. What was I saying? Talking about when you were the counselors and everything when you were in treatment. Oh, right, right. right. So, so, so now in my head, I'm thinking, you know, we're talking about powerless and unmanageability. I'm like. I didn't see it. You know, I hadn't actually been arrested or anything crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I there, there was a couple over, you know, mild overdoses, uh, as I like to call them. <laughs> nothing minimizing nothing. the addiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mild um, overdoses. And uh, doesn't even mm, exist. <laughs> well, I like to say that because I mean, I think of like a mild overdose is like you know, um, like not, you not, not hospital, not not hospital worthy. Like like your sure. body's kind of throwing you in a tub and and um, you Put know some ice, ice and shit ice, and, and kind of snaps you out of it. Or, sure, I'm very lucky. Um, and uh, but anyway, you know, I'm sitting in treatment and they're talking about unmanageability, powerlessness, and like I'm sitting honestly with like every single other person for the most part. There's probably somebody else there that's sent themselves, but like was there you know court card or like you know forced by their parents or mm-hmm. you know spouse, and I like signed up with Eddie on my own. So I'm thinking like I sent myself here. I hadn't been to jail, you know, um, I, I had good credit. Like I hadn't, there was a lot of yets. And and so I just like a good addict started to disqualify myself from, from, you know, being a true addict. And I thought, you know, let me just do a dry run. Um, I didn't even realize I was doing that. Like I, you know, I actually kind of subscribed to the program a little bit when I was there, but in the back of my head, I was like, I'm just going to do this, you know, for a little bit. And then I'll, I'll just temporarily. Yeah. I'll just go back to, I never really considered it as like a permanent thing. And, um, and then met a girl in treatment. I, I, I'm like the the this this is the stupidest story. I meet this girl. Um, I won't say her name. I mean, I, I doubt she's even around watching. But uh, I met this girl in treatment, and and uh, everyone said it was a bad idea. You know what I mean? And and uh, I, I just didn't see it. It was like so textbook. I don't even really need to get into details. Like, um, you know, she had like 30 days. I had 30 days, and and uh, we fell in love. It was just a lot of like you know sick oxytocin deficits, and and. Um, I don't know, just just a very sick, uh, uh, you know, codependent situation, and and she got loaded, and I and I thought in my head like it, you know, she's lying now because she's getting loaded, but if I get loaded with her, then she doesn't have to lie to me anymore, and we can get clean eventually together, you know. 
This is like what I actually said. Yeah. And um, actually, I missed the funniest part of the whole story. We we went to before before I find out she's loaded. We go and get tattoos of our clean dates, oh, right? Man. Like I have like fucking thirty days. It's my first time around, and we go get tattoos, matching tattoos of our clean dates. But she's fucking loaded. And so I find this out later, and I'm like crushed, you know, like like heartbroken. She was getting a tattoo of a clean date loaded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So stay away. <laughs> they seem really healthy. I'm telling you. Anyway, she was a great girl, you know, in, in a lot of ways, but just very sick, you know. And, yes. And um, and we're kids, you know. That's the thing. It's like I didn't realize, you know, here I am, like 30, 30 years old at the time, um, living on my own for the last ten years. You know what I mean? Like 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 I I, I had a kid. A four-year-old kid. I, I I left out of the story um, when I sent myself to treatment, and uh, you know it's kind of hard to, to to sit there and, and listen to like somebody who just met you fucking a week ago tell you that this is not a healthy relationship, right. that you're not ready for a relationship. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? At thirty years old, it just made no sense, you know. And and looking back now, I was so underdeveloped mentally and emotionally mm-hmm. that I was like a kid, and I was so easily able to fall in love. I would have fallen in love with anybody at that time, you know, right. looking back and, uh, you know, it, it, it was easy to manipulate. It's, it's just, it's, 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 we're kids, you know, at that age, like, like in, in a developmental way, that's just the best way I can put it. And, um, and so that's why, you know, today I, I, I consider, you know, when I look at newcomers, I look at them almost like I, like precious, like a kid, not, not in a minimizing kind of like, you know, intelligent way, yeah. but, but, in a vulnerability kind of I way, like you know, yeah. and um, and so you know, being able to to kind of look back and and, and see that has made that. Um, anyway, I don't know what I'm talking about. Where are we at? When did you get diagnosed with OCD? Um, a couple times actually, as uh, as a young kid, um, and then you know, um, multiple times, and then the last time that the was in treatment when I was in treatment, I got um, we had psychological evaluations done. You know, and you take little tests and stuff and they give you a diagnosis and that that's been that's been a constant one that's one that i'm pretty sure is is accurate right <laughs> i still i still have uh you know little things i gotta do and and um what do you think that stems from i think about it a lot i think about that one a lot because uh it's something that's very real and it's something i struggle with on a sure. basis um it's an obsessive compulsive disorder, right? So, so addiction is an obsessive compulsive disorder. Yes. You know, the human brain is is too plastic, and 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 it's not. We can't box this shit up. You know, like we yeah. like to, we like to say, like I got OCD and addiction over here, and he's got this over here. You know, it doesn't. I I don't believe it. It, it works like that. I think everything kind of plays with it. You know, works into itself and and plays along with it. You know, each other and. You know, I think all addicts have OCD. You you think about something, it becomes an obsession, and then you fucking act on it. You know, and compulsively, OCD, it is. It's the same thing. The only difference is, is it's like with like certain things I can't explain. Like, um, I don't know. People watch those memes, or you know, it's like 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 uh, somebody does something, they like leave it kind of like off, you know, like unfinished, and it's like kind of like you know, like a little itch. It's, yes, it's, it's like that, but yes. with with like unexplainable things. It's uh almost like nails on a chalkboard to me uh-huh. um, when I see things. Sometimes it's tactile. Yes. Like if I, if I like something touches me on one side, the other side feels like fucking lost and empty until I touch the other side too. I understand. Does that make sense? Oh, I, I, I think I've never been diagnosed, but yeah. I've gone through those feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's, um, it's hard. I can't, I ruminate on things. I can't like let things go. Um, I, I can't move on from things. Sometimes I get stuck, you know? Yes. And, and, uh, 
it's hard. So, but, but understanding, you know, what it is and, and, um, processing, processing it, there's, there's, you know, and, and exposing myself to it and, mm -hmm. and, and making room for it and, and truly coping with it is, is helped. Um, and it, and it kind of plays into my whole philosophy with everything, you know, when I take what I've learned from the 12 steps and counseling school and working with addicts for almost 10 years and, and, um, being one and, and seeing what's worked for me. Yeah. Um, I, I truly believe that there's two, two different, um, Two different things going on with us you know we, like when it comes to, to coping or avoiding stuff and i think addiction truly is a disease of avoidance and mm -hmm. we we think that we're coping a lot of times with it you know like oh i'm feeling a certain kind of way let me go for a jog it sounds healthy right. but that's a you know it, it a jog is healthy you know but just like everything else it's not what we do it's how we do it and why we do it and if i'm avoiding something by going on that jog like a feeling that's avoidance that's not coping yeah you know so i think i think um you know, at times, you know, we're going to have cravings maybe early on and, and sobriety or, or, you know, even down the road, you know, there's going to be something I get stuck on. And, yeah. and and there's like a reverse approach to getting unstuck, which is not trying to get unstuck. It's just kind of allowing yourself to be stuck. And then miraculously, you you, you get unstuck. It's it's essentially the same thing as surrender in the program. You know, mm. like when I truly internally surrender. Yes it's like the fucking urgency goes away and I can fucking my shoulders relax and shit. Like it's working smarter, not harder, you know, but if I'm still like kind of, you know, in that state of like, I'm, I'm not actually managing anything, but I'm not in that surrender. Cause I'm still ruminating on fucking, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, I don't have room for that feeling. I haven't coped with it enough to make room for it. I don't know if this makes any sense, but um, you know, it's not going to go away, you know, it's yeah. just not. And, and um so, you know, you just make room for certain things like pain, physical pain. You know, if, if you have chronic, anyone who has chronic pain knows eventually the shit just goes away because the brain just fucking shuts it off eventually. Right. Yeah. Meaning it's happening, but you don't, you kind of just don't really yeah. think about it anymore because you're so used to the, that yeah. pain. It also plays into like my, my level, you know, like an AA, I, I always mess this one up. It said, they say like my, my level of, uh, you know, um, I, you know, I get a spiritual reprieve contingent upon my daily maintenance. What's that supposed to be? You, say you that? just said it. Okay. Yeah. So so it's kind of like that with OCD too. Like I really find it like blowing up and getting crazy when I'm not in front of my 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 schedule, my day, when I'm not balancing things yeah. out, you know. Um, it, it can make it worse just like anything, you know. Yes. Pain too, physically. I have a hip replacement, um, you know, that, that was a result of my last relapse from an infection. That's a whole nother – that's like a whole nother episode in itself. But, um, you know, I get – you know, phantom pain sometimes, like shooting pains, and uh, you know that it, it can be worse if I'm not spiritually fit. I can't explain it. You know? Right. So, so if you said you were, were treatment at above above it all, was it? Yeah. That was ten years ago. Yeah. Because you're forty now. Eleven now. Yeah. How much time did you stay sober after that? And was there a relapse? You mentioned yeah, relapse. Yeah, relapse. Yeah. So I, I stayed after that. I I got my KDAC, uh, finished school, finished my internship. At about 18 months is when I met you at, at, at that treatment center that we worked at. Yeah. I stayed sober for another year. I know I took an honest two. And then somewhere towards the end of, at almost three, um, I had, I'd stepped out of counseling. I got burnout, right? They teach us in school counselor burnout. It yes. happened to me super fast because the place we worked at, you remember, it's crazy. no boundaries. I gave my soul to the place. I, I had no you know, self-care, didn't maintain my, my meetings, all that stuff. Um, and so I burnt out pretty quick. I took a step away. Sober, I took a step away. Mm -hmm. uh, just quit I, I, and, and, and was unemployed for like a couple weeks and then found a get well job, just something to keep me on my toes at a shooting range in Laguna de Miguel, this place on target. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked there for like a year and, and with a bunch of Marines and, um, you know, retired Marines and they drink, right. But they don't do drugs and they're like law abiding citizens and all mm-hmm. shit. And so I got caught up with these guys and I ended up, you know, going out after work and, and not having a few beers and then going out again after work and not, and then going out and having one, you know, one night. And, and by the time I actually drank that first drink, I had like convinced and twisted my brain around so many different ways that I wasn't an alcoholic. You know what I mean? So I didn't even realize I relapsed when I was drinking. I thought I was like entitled, you know, like not even entitled to it. I didn't even finish the fucking thing. Like I did that on purpose. I think subconsciously I ordered the first drink and, and I remember saying like alcoholics need to finish it. So I was doing little things like that to, to keep myself accountable. Like self justification. Yeah. It's like we do rationalization. Yeah. All that stuff. Like they say in the meetings and stuff um, I was doing. And then, and then eventually that like weekend drink, turned into every day after work drink, turned into like a couple, turned into fucking my my wake up's gone because I drank in the middle of the night because I was hallucinating. That 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 was crazy when I started like not having the ability to to finish an entire like night yeah. without drinking um was when was when I knew I needed help. And and what sucked was uh I couldn't I couldn't get help. Like I just I had no health insurance, nothing. And it wasn't like I don't know. It, it, it was bad, but like I hadn't like been to jail. I hadn't crashed a car. Like I couldn't like explain it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was like, like if you try to tell a normie, like, yeah, I'm having trouble drinking. They're like, yeah, well, you know, why don't you just do this? And that and none of it was like doable. Like I needed somebody literally to like arrest me and like throw me into prison. Like I couldn't stop, you know? And uh, eventually I had this little cyst, you know, um, it was like an ingrown hair on my belt. You know, my belt was rub- like rubbing an ingrown hair or something. And it yeah. became like a cyst in my abdomen, an abdominal cyst. And it got so infected because I was just drinking. I didn't give a shit. I should have went to a doctor and got like a fucking antibiotic or something. But, you know, I just no accountability, just kept drinking. And it got so bad, it got septic and it found my hip and then got in my hip joint. And I had osteomyelitis. I was in septic shock. Ended up in a hospital bed on a fucking dilated drip. Oh. And what was funny, the whole time I'm drinking, I was never going to do heroin again. I still meant it. And I wouldn't have. Like, if like the only way I was doing heroin or an opiate is if somebody held me down and like made me do it. And literally, that's what fucking happened. I felt like my disease was Sonny from Bronx Tale. If you ever seen that movie, I seen. love that movie. I like, I was like, I ain't gonna fucking do heroin, and now it's like, now you just can't. Now, now you just have, you can't. Yeah, leave. now you just have to do it. Yeah, like, now, you know, you it's like, now you ain't leaving. Like, I, like I made uh, poor choices, and now I have to do heroin again. Right. You know, anyway, but it was dilated in the hospital, and and dilated drip for a former IV. It's a crazy, crazy story. Like when you have an infected hip and it blows out your joint, you need a fucking hip replacement. Yes. But the problem with getting a hip replacement is they're not going to put the metal in your hip until you've been clear of infection for one year. So I had to lay in a bed taking dilated. I'm not kidding. Otherwise, I would have compromised my range of motion during the period. I would have lost. How long? I could have lost my leg. Almost a year. I had to take opiates and I and a, I was at Mission Hospital three months. And then I was in a home hospital bed with a nurse, like helping me with a commode next to the bed, all that. This all lasted a whole year. Yeah, actually over a year because I was in the hospital and then I had to clear the infection, wait a year, get the hip. And then I had insurance issues after that. Like there was like in fucking insurance. I was on Medicare and then I had to like get real insurance before the surgery. So it was a little bit of a layover before I was eligible for the hip. So it was like probably about 18 months. Get the hip replacement and I decide... um, I'm going to take the easy way out and I'm going to go to Costa Rica and do Ibogaine. Have you ever heard of this? Of course I know what Ibogaine Yeah, is. so I go to Costa Rica. I know this guy, Lex, who's passed away now. Go figure. He's running a, a, an Ibogaine clinic out of a, a, a 
<sighs> abandoned casino called Casablanca. It's in like somewhere something. Like Puerto Vallarta? No, it's like in something, something to Escazul in the middle of Costa Rica. It's like in the mountains. Oh, okay. If anyone knows Costa Rica. An abandoned casino, they converted it into it was like a, it was, it was It was a rental property, like a big old mansion. And and uh, the last person that rented it had like a long-term lease and, and had converted this mansion into a, like a casino. In middle America, you know, casinos are a little different. You know, yes. even here, like we, we don't have, you know, there wasn't fucking ballet. It was just like a property that people would like go to and gamble. They had tables and shit in the house. And mm-hmm. It was a beautiful property. And uh, and then, you know, this they, the casino was no longer there. This guy Lex came in and, and rents it out for a Ibogaine clinic. And he hires a couple of local nurses to come that don't speak English. What was it like 10, 10 days? It was supposed to be. I ended up there for a month because I was on dilated so long. It took me to get me to a point of being medicated my tolerance was out of this fucking world true story when they took me in for the 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 or to do the initial surgery where they didn't know if they were going to cut my leg off yes i left out the part i drove from wyoming out here with this thing fucking blown out i can't tell my whole story in one it's like too many stupid things i was like a psycho um anyway i'm out here now and and in the or Mm -hmm. they they can't sedate me enough to do the surgery because I'm, my tolerance for fucking alcohol is so crazy that their set hospital sedatives just aren't knocking me out. And but they are a little bit. So I was doing this thing. I was like going in my bed. I would start crying. I'd be like, <laughs> and then I would start screaming like, ah, and then I'd start crying, and then I'd start screaming. And the nurses were scared. I was like freaking everyone out, and they had to call my girlfriend at the time into the OR to try to calm me down to do the surgery. They said we give him enough tranquilizers to kill a horse. So if we give him anything else, he's gonna die. And I'm screaming in the in the thing. Um, and so, you know, the amount of dilated I was taking during this whole time was crazy. Um, it, it was just nuts. So when I got to Costa Rica, he said in like the eight years he'd been running this clinic, he had never seen someone come in with the severity of, of opiate, like, like dependence that I had. The amount I was taking was crazy. I was getting like six fucking eight milligram dilateds. I didn't even know they made white ones, eight milligrams. And then I was getting like five or six, 16 milligram Oxycontins. And the guy that was writing me these scripts is still doing business right now in San Clemente. Um, you know, out of control, like it's inhuman, the amount I was prescribed, you know, um, anyway. And, and what's funny is I actually, they tried to send me a bill fucking recently too. No, like, man. And, uh, we're going to dope you up and later we're going to bill you. Yeah, it was like, some, like some stupid thing, like some like technicality. It was like $50 bill for something that they, they were tracking me down for. I, I don't, I don't anyway. Um, so, so I was there for a month in Costa Rica and, and I began, didn't work for me. I don't know. Um, you know, I think it, it's a hallucinogen, so maybe it's a crapshoot. Like, you know, maybe some people it fucking wires some shit. In their Speak eye. on it a little bit so people know. Like, they, they don't they shock they shock you, right? So I went there, and, and it's weird. You know, they they monitor you. They 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 give you a couple. I don't know. Every place is different. This was not like a shamanic experience. I didn't have like a. It was not spiritual. I was like in a fucking abandoned casino. It was like not. Farthest thing from holistic. Yeah, it was like I felt like I was in. I was getting like a you know backdoor abortion or something. Like your name was like creepy as shit. Like um, there was like rancid meat in the sink. Like at times, um, there was like stray dogs that would just kind of mob around inside the house. They would get in and just hang out for a little bit. They did like some EKG. That was it. And then they put me into a banana bag. Um, you know, like like potassium iodide, like you know, liquid, like. Um, and then they start like microdosing you with uh, these little gel caps. He had this bag of ibogaine powder. And he would like dose it in these little gel caps, and I would take one here and there. And he did this flooding orally thing. Or, or orally, it was just pills, yeah. you know. And and they had me hooked up to monitors and shit so they could see if I was all right at first. And then, you know, they do a flood dose, and I just fucking start hallucinating. And it was just horrible. It felt like um, it just kicked off for me. It, it, it 
he said I was a non-responder. It, it, it made, it felt like full on opiate withdrawal while being like, if you ever done acid, you done like mushrooms and shit. Lots. So, so you ever had a bad trip? Yes. Okay. So like the terror of the bad trip combined with the physical fucking issues of opiates. It was the, it was the worst living hell I've ever experienced for like three days. Um, I felt like my skin, somebody took a potato peeler to my skin, lathered me in icy hot and then threw me in a fucking glacier like and I was like freezing cold and like dealing with the nightmares of like a bad hallucinogenic trip, coupled with the big sadness of opiate withdrawal in a hallucinogenic state where I couldn't sleep or eat or anything. Mm. Um, even urinating was like weird. Like I couldn't do any. It was like fucking horrible. I was like trapped in a in a like a hallucinogenic like prison for about three days. Mm-hmm. Like um, and then when it finally subsided. Mm-hmm. I didn't get like any like fucking revelations or spiritual awakenings. I've heard of people doing it. There's a sure. whole Joe Rogan podcast where they talk about Ibogaine. Yes. And uh, I didn't get that experience at all. It was just horrible. And uh, But that guy didn't go there kicking opiates, you know, like that talks about it. He was like sober. So, you know, I'm sure the, the collective, um, com- you know, combined experience like um, didn't help. But when you say you didn't, Ibogaine didn't work for you, does that mean you stayed for a month like they gave you Ibogaine in the beginning? But no, they- no. The month I was there, literally, Ibogaine portion was only the last week. The first, like, you know, three weeks or whatever. Was I was stabilizing there, you. For was, was, was tapering me off opiates. Like, he was giving me, he had, like, he keeps Oxycontin at his facility. So yeah. he has Ibogaine and Oxycontin, the, the time release ones. And he would, like, break little pieces and taper people down that way. To like he had like a formula he'd been using you know like once you get to 20 milligrams and we wait a day or two days after once you get down to 20 we wait two days then we start the ibogaine and that's like his system that seemed to work there was actually you know in his defense and in the, like you know I'm a, I, I'm a true like i'm an honest guy I, i'm never like gonna look at not look at both sides and i um i was there with somebody who was there for sex addiction and then there was another like young kid that was there for for heroin but he had only done heroin like three or four times or something like that Mm -hmm. and the girl that was there for sex addiction wasn't there for substance use whatsoever and they both did it and and they claimed they had a positive experience as in like they stopped being sex addicts the girl was actually like she she seemed a little different after and she claimed she didn't have you know cravings for that or thoughts of of any of that stuff um but before that it was like really bad for her so I, I know about Ibogaine. I mean, I, I have had friends and certain people close to me that have done Ibogaine. And uh, I've only heard of a, a few success stories where the cravings actually went away. Yeah. But even in research, you can in advance. Mm-hmm. I was, what I re- remember reading in the literature uh, based around Ibogaine is that they would like for you to also follow it up with 12 step meetings. Yeah. Well, it's funny. So I, it does, you know, I had a buddy, the guy who put me onto it in the first place, because I didn't just go there blind, like off the internet. I had a friend who like claimed it was awesome. And this was a guy who was using heroin within high school. It was one of the guys in the car originally. Yes. Um, he's still around. His name's Larry, uh, if he's watching, which I doubt, but um, big shout out to him because, um, you know, he, he, he kind of informed me about that. He said he had done Ibogaine with success and maintained three years of sobriety, but then he got loaded again because he didn't do any of that stuff. He didn't work on himself. He, t- he told me that he's like, it'll, it'll work for a little bit in the beginning, but if you don't start working on yourself, it won't help. Sure. And so he ended up relapsing and then going back and doing more Ibogaine and then was sober boosters. Right. And then was sober from that trip of Ibogaine. And that's when he hit me up and was like, this is the best stuff ever. You got to try it. It's amazing. I talked to this guy and they're like, yeah, you won't withdraw. You feel great. And it resets your brain. And then you're like, not an addict anymore. And like, it's back. To, it's like defragging your computer. Not they said, an addict anymore. Nah. Not an addict. So, 
you know, that should have been a tell right there. Like, um, because, you know, at that point I had been to school, I had a, a good understanding of what it was, you know what I mean? And, and, um, like what addiction was. And so you left there and did you come back to America and start using again? No, I came back. This was literally, so my clean date, um, I considered during that, I, uh, I began trip. So I, I didn't incorporate this either. When I was there doing, when he was tapering me off of the opiates, I was yes. smoking weed too. Um, that was also part of like the the taper kind of cocktail yes. of things. And so I was lovely. Yeah, yeah. So I was smoking weed, and then um, and he says it actually helps with the ibogaine and stuff like that. Of course he did. So I I, <laughs> I was doing that up until it was like September, like early September, and I was like down to the last dose of like oxycontin. And I finished the Oxycontin, it was like September 8th mm. or 7th, and I was still smoking weed, getting ready for, I was like in that interim period getting ready for the Ibogaine. And so I saw, you know, I was like scrolling and shit, and I was like, oh shit, September 11th is coming up. And I was like, I want that to be my sober day, you know? And so that, the day of September 11th, I woke up and I checked my Instagram feed, and you see all that memories. I was from New York City too, so like everybody feels something when they see 9/11. But I, I feel like for those of us that like grew up in the city and consider that our home, sure, like, it, it 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 hits me, you know, like like of all the fucking remembering memory memorial days, like 9/11 definitely gets to me. And, um, so and I got a fucking tattoo of it right here for a reason. So you know? your sobriety date is 9/11, 2016. Okay. So I I I I stopped that day doing everything. Um, you know, and then and then went underwent that treatment, which I don't consider even though it was a, a hallucinogen. I, mm -hmm. I I was doing my motives. I talked to my sponsor about it. I didn't enjoy it. The whole experience was, you know, um, it was considered. You know, you can look at it as like MAT, maybe suboxone. I know some people when they're in treatment, um, and I support that. You know, if you go to treatment and and on on fucking January first, and they prescribe you suboxone for ten days, and you follow their orders in treatment. Your sobriety date, in my opinion, would be the first. I mean, that's between you and, and your higher power. But yes. um, I think, I think, like you know, medically assisted um, treatment, like under supervision, as part of a detox done the correct way, is not is not. You know what I mean? Like, I yes. think I think that would be fair. And so that's the way I perceived it. And and um, that was the last time I, I put a narcotic or substance in my body. You know, love it. That. So I love it. Here's, I came. Here's I, what somebody wrote right here. Uh, how I got my ex back after your broken marriage. My lover left me with one kid. I felt like ending it all. I almost committed suicide because he left us with nothing. I was emotionally down all this while, thanks to a spellcaster doctor called Doctor Goodswell, which I met online about my lower back. Is this an ad? I don't know. Okay, so that's not important. All right, me too. And the doctor got in trouble with the DEA and fought it and won. So he's still prescribing. Oh yeah, we're talking about that. Those motherfuckers. Yeah, 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 dude. They're, you know, there's all. Everyone knows what's up with that. There's like shows about it now, right? What's that show called? Like, oh, uh, Dope Sick. Yeah, there's yeah. Dope Sick. I mean, we had that that documentary, The Pharmacist. You ever see that one? No, I, I think oh I saw like one little episode. You got to see The Pharmacist. I, I, how many how many how many episodes is that? Like like three or four, yeah. It's like one of those like kind of mini series. Let like, me know the name of it when you. The see. pharmacist. It should be on Netflix. It's called it's, the pharmacist. Yeah, it's it's like this dude like literally is a pharmacist and and kids are coming in like, hey, let me get my ten thousand you know oxycontins and yeah. he's like, what the fuck? Like, and so he brings he brings the whole attention down. He, he's like the guy that 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 the whistleblower on the whole, um, you know, Pfizer and all the I don't know whatever. You yeah. gotta see it though. It's good. Yeah, I'm interested. Okay. Um, 
So, oh, I, I think I didn't answer your question completely. When I came back from Costa Rica, um, I was I was fucking without insurance and and completely destroyed. I was still detoxing. I think I was detoxing for a month after that. Mm -hmm. It's like the ibogaine didn't wear off, and I was driving around. I would drove, drive myself to meetings and shit. I tell my clients this all the time, and 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 you know, uh, newcomers when I see them, it's like. I always go, it's like Ian's like words of wisdom. It's not what you do. It's how you do it and why you do it most important. And like, I tell my clients that they're like, well, will you talk about getting sober on your own without treatment this last time? And I was like, the big difference is, is if somebody handed me a fucking ticket to like Salvation Army or something, I would have taken anything. You know, I was willing to do anything for my, like at that point. And I was driving to, I, th I thought of you actually, because you speak Farsi, don't you? Yes. I went to, I, I was so fucking twisted up and 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 like shot out. I, I got a meeting directory and I ended up at a Farsi NA meeting. In LA? No, out here in Orange County. It was like, oh, in, I know where yeah. And, and I end up at this meeting and uh, I got like me, I'm like sweating still. Like I'm all fucked up. Like I'm detoxing. And I realized it's a Farsi meeting when I get in there and I didn't know what to do. And I was so, I was so hurt and broken you know what i mean and i could i couldn't even drive like anymore i was like so shot out i just sat in a chair and i ended up laying down and nobody said anything to me i laid down on like two or three chairs um because I, I couldn't sit up anymore. they just let you be they just let me be it was crazy and then I, one or two guys came up to me after the meeting and spoke english and was like asking me how i was and shit it was cool but, love that there's uh somebody was melissa's asking does any does he know about lusmyra what his opinion is on it I think that's a, a alternative to Suboxone. Oh, I don't know much about that. What's it called? Loose Myra. Dude, I'm so out of the, the loop and the new stuff. Um, yeah. You know, I'm still like thinking about Suboxone and Subutex. Like, and I'm not, you know, Vivitrol shots. I don't know much about that one, though. I haven't heard about that one. Okay. Now, for a while, in the it's been almost six years. September 11th was six years, right? Yeah. You created a brand. Mm called sober contracts yeah yeah yeah. made shirts have a youtube presence so so instagram presence yeah i'll tell you about it i i got everybody was kind of scratching their head in 2020 during the big the big quarantine you know yes and, and um you know it's so so i guess i'll fast forward to the to the year before that i i i had burned out i was working on sorry i came back right i got sober I needed purpose and meaning. I needed a job. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I started working at a, a detox center in San Clemente. I called a friend of mine who was program director at the time. And they have like a six month requirement for support staff, but because, you know, he knew me and, and I actually had a credential at the time, the KDAC, you know? And so as a KDAC, I was like down to do rounds and detox at four months. Then they hired me. And so I just, I, I kind of slipped back into the industry that way. Yeah. And after like six months of working in detox, like as like a burnt out counselor, I just couldn't do it anymore. And I just, I took a step back and started um, putting myself out there for group facilitation, got a job that actually, and it, I keep running into you, man. It's crazy. I got a job. I took over your groups at SEC or at a place. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, uh, um, it's okay. I, I, uh, it was four agreements. You were running that four agreements. Group yes. And, and I, and I, and so I you have my books that I left behind. No, I don't have the books, but I, I actually didn't do four agreements. I just took that group that, that, that time, time slot, that time slot. And then, um, but I have since learned four agreements and, and it's a great, um, Don Miguel Ruiz. Great, great man. You should read it. Yes. Great. man. Yeah. So I was group contracting and I got that bit, uh, I got that job and then I had another job at a place in Newport. Um, and then I was, I was looking at getting another place, but the two places I had were good to me. They were giving me some good hours. 
but it wasn't enough. It was cool, but it wasn't enough. And, and, um, my dad ended up passing away right at the beginning of 2020. Um, he was like my only adult relative. I have my daughter and that, and that's pretty much it. So it was, it was a, it was a scary time. You know, it was like, um, I was self-sufficient, but he was there in case, you know, it was like there in case and with, with him going away, it was, it was, uh, you know, the fear of financial, you know, one of my promises started to kind of get a little loose and, and, um, and so, you know, I, I, and then 2020 happened, there was a lot of uncertainty with that. And, and so, you know, I knew I wasn't going to get much from his passing. There was like a little life insurance policy, but it was a, a couple of grand and, and I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know how to invest it at the time. Like there was like inflation, the market's going crazy. People were talking crypto. I don't know what it is. So I didn't know what to do with this money, but I knew like under the stress I was going through yeah. that having like a lot of money for me and my history wasn't too good. And I wanted to make him proud and do something with it. And so I decided to, to kind of um, create a company for, you know, like the group contracting and S Corp. And then I trademarked the name so, uh, Sober Contracts um, and, and then decided to start making videos on YouTube. I was going to try to be a YouTube influencer. Um, and it was it was fun. It took a lot of work editing. I was just talking to, to Carrie about it. It's like a hassle. You know, it took it was like a full it was like two full time jobs trying to work and do that and maintain that channel. But I got some good content out and, and it was fun. Excellent and, content. Yeah. And then I, I linked up with a guy named Martin um, and uh, he recently passed away um, about two weeks ago online through this whole online community that I started to kind of network through. Um, and there's a huge, I mean, you're a part of it. There's so many people in sobriety now, um, you know, influencing and, and trying to bring attention to, to end the stigma of addiction. And sure. we're seeing that hashtag recover out loud. So others don't need to suffer in silence, like, you know, variations of that. That's, um, and so I kind of like joined the, the movement, the mental health reform movement and the, and the, you know, stigma reduction and harm reduction movement and, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, this is something we've been doing for years now, you know, I yeah. mean, it was like fucking five or six years ago, there was all that, you know, choice debate that was going around on Facebook and, sure. and YouTube, people were talking shit about addicts and it's not a disease. And, and I've always been, you know, as a guy writing like, oh, if it's not a disease, then I guess tomatoes aren't fruits and whales aren't mammals because they don't fucking look like, like, you know, like trying to like advocate for addiction. And I, yeah. I always have like, I always love those debates and stuff. And so, um, Anyway, I, I, I found passion about it, you know, and, and um, I started that this company, this guy, Martin, helped me develop a website, silvercontracts.com. It's it's still up. There's a little intel on there, but um, I got some shirts going. Everyone was making merch, you know, it was like merch madness. We were, you know, people were making hats and stuff. I got this one, little silver contracts hat. Mm -hmm. I got I got this uh, cool tank, I, you know stuff i don't have any for sale anymore i, I kind of ended up giving most of it away we donated a bunch to charlie street we made a few runs to those guys um just to get the name out there and really in hopes um of getting uh intervention work you know doing some interventions and and, and getting some groups maybe some group contracts and just trying to get out there and sure. back into the industry kind of independently and um you know it just it just didn't pan out for me i i had to kind of um you know I, I, thank God I've worked some steps and I know what acceptance looks like and I know how to kind of be humble and understand, yeah. you know, um, that, 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 that's not God's plan for me, you know, or, or my higher powers plan for me. Um, and so I think, you know, during all that, there was a lot of like kind of ego for me that went into it and, and, and I was getting like so caught up and I didn't have a lot of time and, 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 it was just like a lot of stress and and i look back and like two months it went by and i hadn't really worked like closely with any addicts you know like and and i i kind of realized that that the my core mission and purpose that i feel like god gave me a second chance for um wasn't being given enough attention and so 
Um, and finances were hard, you know, launching a business is expensive yeah. and, and the money was running out. And, and so, you know, I just decided to, to start working again, um, just go back to the beginning and I put out a bunch of applications and just started case managing again. So now I'm full-time case manager in, in San Juan and I get to work closely. I got like 11 client caseload right now and, um, I'm back running groups. And, and I, I got to say this, this, this is what I know about you from watching you work on the front lines as a tech and then transitioning over into becoming a counselor. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of them come and go. You're, yeah. you are, you do a superb job with your clients. Thank you. And who you are and how you, you know, you know, recovery. Yeah. And I'm saying, I'm saying this is based off the experience I had before your relapse. Yeah. Like I knew how you were with them. Like there were certain people that stood out to me yeah. during that time. Thank you. Richie most definitely was yeah. one of them. He relapsed Absolutely. too. Did he really? Yeah, he relapsed too, but he came back. Happens. He came back strong. But even Jerry relapsed. Jerry? Yeah, he was like our he was our Jerry's fucking, still around. I just saw him recently. He yeah. was like our, our, our yeah. fucking samurai. Jerry. Right? Like yeah, Jerry's he, he was the man. We were a dream team. We really helped. And a lot of people that went through there. I mean, I'm not gonna say everybody stayed sober. Some some of them died, some of them did stay sober. But there's a lot of people that got long-term sobriety as a result of I believe like the type of teamwork that we had back then in helping these people as counselors. So I, I, the second I heard that you were back in the field, mm -hmm. it made sense to me. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know why. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's one thing to, to, to be trying to do. And it's, it's nice to uh, you talk about going into that and the ego starts to take form. And mm -hmm. I, I think sober contracts is still awesome. I yeah. think it, it's, it's definitely it's a good, uh, it's it looks nice it's still it sounds nice like the youtube stuff is informative yeah, yeah. you know i think i'm gonna hold on to the channel you know and 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 maybe you know the business we're dissolving the s corp and, and all that i'll keep the you know the name and all that but um i think in in the instagram i'll keep we were sharing stories it was cool as uh people were starting to share their you know before and after pics you know and yeah it's cool and then write like a little story um and uh yeah i'll probably stick it you know keep it on the side but um you know kind of I think we could help each other. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just like, you know, I really just, I, I just love bringing attention and awareness. Like, sure. you know, it, 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 it's not it's work for me. It's not work for me. Yeah. You know? No, it's what we do. So. It's what we do. I love that you, there's so many moving parts in our conversation today. So many things that you talked about that, that matter to me so much. Breaking the stigma. Yeah. Tr trying to identify, is it a disease or is it not? You know, I mean, our, and, and just your, your own personal struggle, struggles falling down bruising your knee luckily didn't fall for good yeah and then getting back up and making the absolute decision that that's what matters mm -hmm. is that you came back and between like you said between you and your sponsor like getting honest with yourself on mm -hmm. when did i get sober when did it really start and and most importantly fucking staying sober right like making this absolute decision that i'm not going backwards anymore yeah, yeah i don't yeah. want to go backwards anymore i want to go forward yeah to we, we see this i mean you i know you you without we haven't talked a lot but i know that you witness what i witnessed oh yeah there's too many fucking people right now fentanyl's and everything oh yeah yeah, yeah. press pills you know I'm every fine. week every week i'm getting one martin the guy design it's like crazy it's, it's kind of, crazy. people are dropping dead like like monthly right now it's and nice. the thing is, is is a lot of these kids think that they're buying xanax and mm. and uh the m30s or whatever like sure. if, if it's not prescribed to you mm -hmm. there's somebody pressing that shit and they're putting some stuff in there yeah. that you may not even know this but if you go and take a piss test 
You're going to pop positive for fentanyl. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. may think you weren't doing fentanyl. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're putting it uh, And people, at, they ask me, like, why would someone put fentanyl in meth? Why would they put it in cocaine? Why would they put it in weed? Yeah. How how can they put it in weed? I'm like, you know what, what kind of weeds out there these days? It ain't like just a type of weed that we grow, we hang, oh, we yeah, smoke. This is fucking, it comes in carts, it yeah, comes yeah, yeah. in it's in concentrate, like, it comes in dabs. Yeah, it comes, yeah. it, like you think that- they, I mean, Jesus, my mom was a hippie growing up smoking weed. I sold her high, my, those shit that I had from New York in high school, and she like yelled at me and said I laced her weed because she didn't, that's not what they were smoking in the 70s. Right. Now, 20 years later out here, synthetic, like the wax shit, forget it. These yeah. guys, I have clients coming in now on, on, on marijuana use, disorder severe and and for the first time in my career i'm seeing like like a lot of that you know what but, I mean? like it was like one in a once in a while we would get something just marijuana yeah you know what i mean now it's it's great psychosis and yeah. all sorts of stuff now. it does create psychosis yeah. it does. she said that loose myra is a uh drug to get off of sex oh well, I mean, if it's something that's that's designed to get off of subs, that's also designed to get off itself, right? Like, yeah, then, yeah. then that sounds right. I mean, I don't know anything about it. Um, yeah, a, I think it's a new address. But I mean, wow, what a what an awesome show! I've been wanting to get you on here for, yeah, a, while. for a long time now, and just spend time with you. I always enjoy myself whenever I'm with you. Whenever we talk, like we have a good friendship. Absolutely. Uh, if you told me I was going to be on a podcast with you in 2022 when we met, I would have been like, "What? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a trip, man." Right. That's crazy how, how far we've come. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you. I really I enjoyed this thoroughly. Just listening to you uh, really go in depth about it. I know there's probably so many other like variables to your story. We always have different versions of our story. And we can only Absolutely. say so much in a, in a limited amount of time. Yeah. But I want to thank anybody that uh, tuned in today. And uh, we have another podcast that we'll be doing tomorrow live with a guy named Armando, ex-gang member from L.A., uh, drug former drug user, and now just a man of of recovery so uh tune in tomorrow it'll be at 12 o'clock 12 p.m pst thank you again for yes, coming sir. on to you. Thank good for having me. such a good dude much love to everybody have a good one enjoy your saturday